0: It is one of the most well-known historic sites in the United States, and it's located in the heart of downtown San Antonio, the Alamo. The Spanish mission was built more than 100 years before the start of the Texas Revolution, but it's perhaps best known for the battle that happened on its grounds in 1836. The Alamo has been depicted in film and television for more than 100 years.
1: The movies
2: make it bigger than life.
0: But recently, headlines about the Alamo have focused on the controversy over plans for its future, and the topic has become a political lightning rod, raising questions about whose stories are prioritized and how when talking about the past if it ain't broke don't fix it keep it how it is just a few phrases shouted out by angry people today listening to a presentation about changing the layout of alamo plaza this is
3: a historic city they're destroying
0: our history
4: The Tepilam-Pualwiltecan nation filed against the Texas General Land Office, Alamo Trust and the City of San Antonio. Tepilam believes the Alamo site is a cemetery where American Indians are buried, so it should be officially recognized as such.
0: We're talking about the history and the legacy of the Alamo and the battle over how this historic mission will be remembered. explains.
3: explains.
0: KSAT explains. KSAT explains. KSAT explains. demand in-depth perspective perspective on stories we bring you in our newscasts throughout the day we're looking into concerns over voting safety during a pandemic and the battle over mail-in voting. A look at how the protests and demonstrations have played out in our city and an examination of what it means to be Black in San Antonio. An issue that you have likely felt the effects of, rising property taxes.
1: The roots of Tejano run deep in South Texas. We examine the cultural impact the music has had in San Antonio. For the past several years, there's been a battle brewing over how the Alamo's history is told from criticism that the story of the 1836 battle has been distorted by myths to those who want to shine a light on what happened at the mission prior to the Texas Revolution.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of KSAT Explains. I'm Myra Arthur. When almost anyone thinks of San Antonio, they likely think of the Alamo. It's so often our biggest claim to fame. Hollywood has helped with that fame over the years, telling its own version of the story. But now there is a real life push to revamp the way we tell the story of the Alamo right here at home. The debate over how to redesign Alamo Plaza, whose stories to include and who's felt left out of how we've remembered the Alamo so far has created a new fight over this very old battleground and that new fight already has a history of its own. In 2015, the city of San Antonio, the Texas General Land Office, and the Alamo Endowment Board entered into an agreement to come up with a new way for visitors to experience the Alamo. Time had revealed more to the story of the Alamo than visitors actually learned about. More names of the defenders had been discovered in the years since the famous battle. And the story of the Alamo prior to the likes of Davy Crockett or Jim Bowie, and the people who were here long before them, had been glossed over or left out,
5: and really, uh, you know, for me, uh, it, it's something that I believe will heal a lot of, of, of deep wounds in, in terms of what, uh, how something like this that, that doesn't acknowledge uh, its complete telling, its full history, what it's done to to our community.
0: The city of San Antonio owns Alamo Plaza. The general land office controls and operates the historic structures themselves. And the Alamo Endowment, now known as the Alamo Trust, is in charge of raising the millions in private dollars needed to build the museum. In 2017, a master plan was unveiled. It included shutting down traffic in front of and right around the Alamo, creating that museum to help tell the full history, and putting up giant plexiglass walls around the area. All of that, part of an effort those in favor of the plan suggested to get visitors to experience the Alamo longer, to gather there, and spend more time learning about its history. Also part of that plan, moving the cenotaph the large white monument dating back to 1936 that stands in front of the church in long barracks in honor of the defenders who fought and died there. But those walls would stand in the way of the plan's official approval. The San Antonio City Council approved the plan without the walls in May 2017. Some city leaders argued the walls would close off Alamo Plaza, making it feel restricted or creating a safety hazard in the event of an emergency. Bear County Judge Nelson Wolf took issue with them too.
6: It cuts off the circulation. Uh, people coming down Houston Street or coming the other way with a wall there. You know, believe me, they didn't have a plexiglass wall in 1836.
0: So the plan for the walls was tabled, but the battle brewing over the Cenotaph would not come to such a swift end. In fact, it would last years. The redesign called for the Cenotaph to be moved about 500 feet south of where it currently stands in late 2019.
3: And all in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say nay. Aye.
0: The Cenotaph's new location was approved by the city's Historic and Design Review Commission. There were more than 200 public meetings to get community input on the Alamo plan, but the idea for the Cenotaph sparked protests. The
7: majority of the people in Texas have no idea that the Defenders Monument is going to be moved off of the battlefield. And there is no reason given, except it's in the way, it has to be repaired, so we can only repair it by moving it, which
0: makes no sense. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick weighed in, opposing the moving of the Cenotaph and saying the entire redesign plan was, quote, badly off track. He threatened to take the project away from the Texas General Land Office and give it to another agency. Things had taken a political turn.
5: I think that there's largely, there's been a misconception that this has been about one monument. And to be clear, there was never any controversy, at least locally, about the monument itself. The Citizens Advisory Committee unanimously voted in favor of relocating the Cenotaph. The Management Committee unanimously uh, voted. Uh, and the City Council supported all of this.
0: Trevino says the Cenotaph needs to be moved to make way for that museum. He says the museum would use the outdoor space to recreate some of the history that unfolded here. The Cenotaph sits on the historic footprint of the mission, which Trevino says wasn't known when it was built in 1936. There were also issues surrounding race and proper representation raised amid the redesign. A group representing indigenous people with a history tied to the Alamo long before the Battle of 1836 filed a lawsuit challenging the plans. You'll meet that group later in this episode, but their suit was later dismissed. In May of 2020, the Cenotaph became the target of vandalism. Someone spray painted the words white supremacy, profit over people, and the Alamo on the monument. A suspect was later arrested. A day after the vandalism, a group of armed men who called themselves the Texas Freedom Force stood guard at the Cenotaph. They said they were there to protect it after law enforcement failed to. Months later, in September of 2020, a decision on the Cenotaph at the state level. The Texas Historical Commission rejected moving the monument, voting that plan down 12 to two.
5: It really was about uh, the the chair uh, Uh, admitting that he wanted to change the project at the behest of the lieutenant governor
0: work to restore and preserve the church and long barracks has been underway for years but that decision on the cenotaph left the majority of the plans at a standstill and caused the majority of the alamo trust that group in charge of raising the millions needed to build the museum to resign
5: what we're faced with now is is a project that is uh, highly politicized uh, and uh, we're, we're trying to work around that trying to get make sure that we don't lose our guiding principles we don't lose the the, the, the whole reason that we've tried to do this project um, and most importantly, that we tell our story.
0: Just days after we interviewed Trevino for this story, another major shakeup in the Alamo project. Mayor Rod Nirenberg removed the councilman from the Alamo Management Committee and as tri-chair of the Citizens Advisory Committee. He's now being replaced by District Three Councilwoman Rebecca Villagran. The mayor says removing Trevino is an effort to move forward on reworking the plans now that we know the Cenotaph is staying put. Trevino responded to his removal by releasing a statement that says in part that he's disappointed and that the master plan has suffered because authority has stifled the whole story. Trevino also thinks the city should end the lease with the state and pursue a scaled back project. This is not the first time there's been an ugly fight over what to do with the Alamo grounds. Turns out it's just the latest. In doing research for this episode, our team learned about another Alamo dispute that dates back more than a century. After the 1836 battle, the Alamo went through a few phases. During the time Texas was a republic, it was mostly unoccupied. But not long after the U.S. annexed Texas in 1846, the U.S. Army came here. They built a roof for the old mission, which had never had one before. The Army also added the now famous bell-shaped facade to the top of the Alamo to hide that roof. The compound remained in the U.S. Army's hands until the Civil War, when it was then turned over to the Confederate Army. The U.S. Army returned after that war and stayed here at the Alamo until 1877, until they eventually outgrew this space and moved on to Fort Sam Houston. The Alamo compound was then divided and sold. The state of Texas bought the church, and it was rented out as a warehouse. A French businessman initially bought the Long Barracks, and it was turned into a museum and general store. Then in 1903, the granddaughter of Lorenzo de Zavala, the first vice president of the Republic of Texas, led the efforts to save the Alamo's long barracks. Adina de Zavala was a historian and a teacher. She didn't have the money to save the building herself. But she soon met and befriended a wealthy philanthropist named Clara Driscoll, who wanted to help. Driscoll's grandfathers both fought on the side of Texas during the Revolution. She joined De Zavala's chapter of the Daughters of the Republic of Texas and bought the long barracks on behalf of the organization. While they both wanted to preserve the Alamo, the two had very different visions about what that preservation should look like. De Zavala wanted to return the site to what it looked like during the battle and she believed the long barracks deserved as much recognition as the church. But Driscoll wanted the long barracks to be demolished and for the church to be the focal point.
8: In the end, they worked together, and um, you know, I think it was like a family quarrel. They both wanted what was best for the Alamo, they just both had two different uh, visions.
0: Eventually, the long barracks were partially demolished, and today, when people around the world think of the Alamo, they undoubtedly picture the church and its famous outline. To understand why the battle over the future of the Alamo is so contentious, it's important to understand its past. Hundreds of years ago, when the Spaniards began exploring Texas, they initially had trouble establishing a foothold in the region. Texas was miles and miles away from larger cities in Mexico, and it wasn't easy convincing people to move to the new colonies. So they established missions and worked with indigenous people who had already been living in Texas for thousands of years. These autonomous indigenous groups were known as Qualitecans.
2: It started as... Basically, one of the institutions of Spain, which is to convert people to Catholicism, teach them a trade, and make them Spanish citizens.
0: The idea was that after a 10-year period, the indigenous people would form a self-sustaining Spanish community. From 1680 to 1690, Spain established missions near the present-day cities of El Paso, Presidio, and Nacogdoches. And the mission that would become known as the Alamo was founded in May 1718 as Mission San Antonio de Valero. Six years later, the mission was relocated to where it stands today. From the start, Mission Valero helped San Antonio evolve.
2: You basically have the Alamo providing citizens for the town to continue to prosper and grow.
0: It operated until 1793 when the Spanish crown ordered that the land be given to converts.
2: It's basically semi-abandoned. There are still people here, but it's no longer working as as a mission.
0: But in 1803, things began to change.
2: That is the year of the Louisiana Purchase. So before that, Spain was controlling Louisiana. And so when they lose Louisiana, or have to give it back to France, and Napoleon sells it, that leaves your borders open to the threat of this emerging country known as the United States.
0: In response to those emerging threats, Spain sends soldiers west to defend their territory, including to the San Antonio area. A cavalry unit called the Alamo Company converted the old mission into a military outpost. Soon, that new outpost became known as El Alamo.
2: There's also a lot of Alamo trees or poplar trees and cottonwoods growing in the area, but the Alamo company is a, is a catalyst for the change, the change of the name.
0: Soldiers continue to occupy the Alamo for the next 32 years. They're there through the long fight for Mexico's independence from Spain.
2: So, this Spanish group becomes a Mexican group. But it's still the same group of people that have been here throughout the years, you know, just changing out with family members, joining the army.
0: And that brings us to the Texas Revolution and that famous battle in history that became the scene for so many action movies. In Mexico's early days, Mexico allowed colonists to come to Texas, attracting large groups with offers of cheap land and a chance to start over. But there were some requirements for new citizens.
6: Everybody that was born here, regardless if you were Native American, regardless of what tribe you were from, regardless of your nationality, everybody had to become a Mexican citizen and adhere to the Catholic doctrine in order to own land.
0: Still, many colonists enjoyed the opportunity far from Mexico's capital. But all of this changed and dissatisfaction grew after Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana was elected president in 1833. Among the complaints the colonists had about Mexico...
9: You're ignoring our civil rights, you're being militaristic, you're being arrogant, you're distant, you're not protecting us from Native American incursions and attacks on our land in Texas.
0: Other factors were economic, and slavery played a significant role. Many of the colonists who moved to Mexico were slave owners.
3: Things got worse because they kept on bringing in the slaves at a time when mexico's government was beginning to look at at least their leadership the ideas of the enlightenment meaning that people are born free
0: slavery had been abolished in mexico in 1829 under the country's only black president vicente guerrero and resentment was growing
3: and you have to put yourself in the shoes of a slave owner you came down here with i don't know 10 12 5 slaves uh, and were given free land or land, and was very cheap. And uh, those slaves were used to make you wealthy. Now, you, after you've been here a while, you've been told Mexico just outlawed slavery. So now uh, you went from being dirt poor to somewhat wealthy. Now you're going back to dirt poor. So what would that do you know, to a person that is in that sort of political uh, atmosphere? Well, they would simply say to themselves, this means
6: war.
0: In 1835, when the insurrection began in Texas, the Alamo Company was sent to Gonzales to recover a cannon that had been loaned to the town for protection against native tribes. But when the Mexican army arrived, colonists refused to hand it over.
2: That will spark the Texas Revolution on October 2nd, 1835, and it all starts with a group of men from the Alamos.
0: A battle broke out, and the Mexicans retreated back to the Alamo when they realized they were outnumbered emboldened a group of texan volunteers arrived in mexican-occupied san antonio and eventually forced the mexican army out of town with the mexican army now gone texans worked to fortify the alamo and prepare for a counter-attack general santa anna's army of 1500 soldiers arrived in san antonio february 23, 1836 to reclaim the town it was the start of a 13-day siege With 18 cannons and about 150 men, the Texans were far outnumbered. One of the Alamo's commanders, 26-year-old William B. Travis, sent a letter pleading for help. On March 1st, about 30 men from Gonzales arrived to help the Alamo defenders. Still, they were no match. After days of intermittent fighting, on March 6th at dawn, Mexican troops advanced and the final battle began. There are disagreements about how long it all lasted, but in the end, there were few survivors. The defeat for the Texans was significant. But on April 21st, a little more than a month later, Texans defeated Santa Ana's army and won independence from Mexico. History had it that Texan soldiers cried, remember the Alamo, during that battle, the Battle of San Jacinto.
9: It takes a while for us later to determine the meanings of each conflict, but I think immediately people knew something big had happened at the Alamo and it was gonna turn the tide of history. Texas ultimately is gonna become part of the United States and that really starts in the tragedy of
0: the lives lost at the Alamo. It didn't take long for the story about the Battle of the Alamo to become a magnet for mythmaking and legend. In fact, most people familiar with the Alamo are probably more familiar with the tall tales than with what actually happened. RJ Marquez explains how the battle became part of Hollywood and why there's now a push to tell an honest and accurate story about what happened here.
1: The legend of the Battle of the Alamo is sometimes bigger than the state of Texas itself. For generations, Texans have been told stories of the brave Alamo defenders that fought against Mexican dictatorship for the state's liberty and independence. The Battle of the Alamo has been depicted on the big screen.
3: What do you think, Jim?
1: And the small screen. And in comic books, with defenders portrayed as larger-than-life heroes you can still find replicas of the coonskin hat that Davy Crockett is rumored to have worn. And merch with the phrase, remember the Alamo, isn't hard to come by. But while some of these things we have come to know about the Alamo are true, a lot aren't. The truth is that there was a battle at the Alamo
7: and that people named William B. Travis and Jim Bowie and, uh, and Davy Crockett died at that battle. Once you get beyond that, it becomes really, really fuzzy.
1: Chris Tomlinson is a columnist for the Express News and Houston Chronicle. Tomlinson co-wrote a book that's said to be released in June titled Forget the Alamo, The Rise and Fall of the American Myth. So let's start there. We've all heard that iconic saying, remember the Alamo, but the truth is, according to Tomlinson, it was mostly an afterthought. Mm -hmm.
7: The Alamo was largely forgotten after uh, the Battle of 1836. And it only really came back into the public imagination after the Civil War, when Texans were looking for a new myth, a new origin story that did not did not include the baggage of slavery.
1: Those legendary myths include the story of William B. Travis drawing a line in the sand with his sword, as depicted in this scene from the 1950s Disney special, Davy Crockett at the Alamo. Those who stay, cross over the line. There was no line in the sand.
7: That was a story made up in the late 1800s.
1: And what about Davy Crockett's heroic death?
7: There were no professional historians before 1880. When they started digging into Alamo history, they only looked at what the white people said about what happened. And they conveniently left out some Mexican army reports, such as Travis offering to surrender the night before Santa Ana attacked or the fact that Davy Crockett was captured alive and executed on Santa Ana's orders.
1: So what else happened and what's been exaggerated? Did William B. Travis actually write his victory or death letter? That's a fact. The letter, which was a plea for help when the Alamo was surrounded by Mexican troops, was written on February 24th in 1836. It was returned to the Alamo in 2013. Another popular myth? We've all been told there were no survivors after the battle. Well, that's fiction. We like to
7: say no one survived the Alamo, but, in, but that's not true. There was an entire Mexican army. There were dozens of, Mexica, of Tejanos, Mexican Americans who had taken shelter. We have a lot of those stories, but because they weren't told by white people, they got left out.
3: We have some recent studies that were done um, that indicate that many of the Alamo defenders didn't stay there to fight to the last man. They left out of the eastern, southwestern walls, and understandably so, it doesn't necessarily mean they were cowards or they were running. It may have been they just saw
1: there was no way they were going to win this war, and Travis was wrong. And despite new revelations recently unearthed by historians, the myth of the Alamo remains strong. Hollywood has helped fuel this with multiple TV shows and movies depicting the battle dating all the way back to 1915.
3: I wanna warn you all, I'm a screamer.
1: These films and TV shows have fed into the lore and made the Alamo and San Antonio a popular tourist destination.
3: I grew up here in San Antonio and like many people, um, I thought about the Alamo. I saw the old John Wayne movie as a small child and like many other people, was kind of captivated by the story they told because it was a story of heroic people and who who put up a good fight and tried to change the course of uh, their destiny. And that's what I grew up with, but that's kind of like all a very shallow explanation of the whole thing.
9: A lot of history is the truth as people believe it at that moment or the truth as people want to present it at that moment. And humans like good stories, and I think that's probably why stories are embellished and changed. And the, the stories of the Revolutionary War in George Washington, we're reevaluating all the time, and I think the Alamo is part of that formula of myth making and reevaluation.
1: And while these films and shows made many of the defenders larger than life figures, the truth is many were fighting for different causes during a volatile time in our state's history.
9: These are real people, they're not characters in a movie. And some of the people who were fighting at the Alamo were fighting for the causes they didn't even know had been written down and the de- declaration they hadn't even seen yet. And some are fighting for their buddies. I mean, I think a boy as young as 14, 15 was fighting for his buddies at that moment and not necessarily thinking about you know, what it meant to Mexico or what it meant to the future of Texas. They were fighting for their families and their friends. We're at a point
7: in time where young people in particular want to know the truth about what really happened. And they don't have a lot of tolerance for these stories that were invented As a way to perpetuate white supremacy, and now sadly we have people who can't accept that that's the origin of those myths, and that's the reason why we have to get rid of them.
0: Throughout this redesign debate, some have argued that the best way to fight those myths is to tell the full story in a way that hasn't been done before. Ksat explains. Producer Brina Montarosa introduces us to two people who have a stake in the way that history is presented.
6: I am a Kauiteco. And more importantly, I am a Native, Native American citizen.
8: My family came during escandans expedition to Texas. So that would have been the 1700s.
4: Two people, two different family histories. Both have personal reasons for caring about which stories are included in the plans for the Alamo's redevelopment.
6: We have to fix our, our history. We can't let others speak on our behalf.
4: Raymond Hernandez is a tribal council member of the Tapilam, Coahuiteca Nation.
6: Tapilam, which means people of this land. It was a uniting force for all the different familias that come from the missions to say we belong. We are these people. We are Tapilam.
4: The different clans, including the Payaya, lived in what is now southern Texas and northeastern Mexico. In 2001, the city of San Antonio issued a proclamation recognizing... Tapilam, as the first tribal families of San Antonio. The Archdiocese of San Antonio recognized them as the indigenous tribal families of the five Indian missions of San Antonio.
6: That history is extremely important to us because we're living in it now.
5: Mm-hmm.
6: And that's our children and our grandchildren's legacy. Not to turn around and impose it as a way that this is it, this is the way it is, without acknowledging the contributions of other people. There's a story for a lot of people. There's a lot of room. What has happened over time is that we have been excluded, have been excluded from the history books and the educational system.
4: That exclusion is why Hernandez has fought to protect his ancestors.
6: I was raised by grandparents that held on to their native traditions, okay, to their culture and never forgot where that that like my grandfather says, como el árbol del mesquite." Our roots are deep, and no matter how much they try to remove us, we come out bigger.
4: The Alamo served as a Catholic mission long before the battle. Hundreds of indigenous people are believed to have been buried at the site.
6: We were the first Catholics in Texas here in San Antonio, and. The thing about it is is that our, uh, our Catholic traditions at that time were to bury those that lived in and around the missions to be buried at the Missiones. Those are the Campos Santos.
4: That's why Tapilam wants to say in the restoration project. The group says those sacred cemeteries should be protected.
6: If you find them, let's move them respectfully. We want to protect, okay? are historical properties, and we want to protect those that contribute and make the Alamo what it is. And yes, like you have a memorial of all the defenders of the Alamo, right? Why is it not proper to have a memorial of those names for the people that we know are buried there or were buried there?
4: In December 2019, human remains were discovered in the Alamo church. The remains haven't been identified.
2: Here we've got, you know, you've got Anglos, you've got, you know, text Texians, you've got Hispanic, you've got Native American groups that have been around again for, you know, in Texas, 13,000 years.
4: Martha Fleetis is the historian general of the Daughters of the Republic of Texas, the organization that served as Alamo custodians for more than 100 years. She doesn't have a connection to Tapilam, but she's sympathetic to the
8: group. I don't know enough about Indian or Native American history to say that I'm perfectly right. But I can understand the feeling of being left out. That is for sure. And we do know that that's a cemetery. I mean, that is a no-brainer.
4: Like all members of the DRT, Martha can trace her lineage back to her ancestors. They settled in Texas prior to when the state joined the U.S. at the end of 1845. The daughters are dedicated to preserving the history of Texas, particularly before statehood and during the Republic. They have a huge collection of artifacts prized by Texas historians.
8: The, um, signed copy of the Texas Declaration of Independence that Samuel Maverick signed. We have Santa Ana's pistols.
4: Martha agrees the history of the Alamo hasn't always been told accurately.
8: No, it hasn't. The main story is correct. I mean, they were there for 13 days. There was a siege, or 13-day siege. One aspect of the Battle of the Alamo and the Texas
4: Revolution that critics say gets glossed over, the role Tejanos, Texans of Mexican descent, played. Historians say... Juan Seguin and Lorenzo de Zavala were as important to Texas independence as people like William B. Travis and Sam Houston.
2: When the outbreak of the, the Texas Revolution in 35 started, many joined up. And the thing that people don't realize is that if you joined as a native Texan and the war didn't go your way, you have no home because, you you know, you, you can't stay. You can't go to Mexico because, well, you just fought against them and Going to the United States is a new place for
4: you. Their contributions were forgotten or left out altogether during the Jim Crow era in Texas, when minorities and people of color had little to no rights and their voices were silenced.
7: We saw the stories of Juan Seguin, who was betrayed by the white revolutionaries, you know, downplayed.
4: After fighting on behalf of Texas during the revolution, while serving as San Antonio mayor, Seguin was accused of treason and forced to flee to Mexico.
7: We like to hold up Lorenzo de Zavala, who was perhaps the most famous person in the Texas revolution because of his previous role as vice president of Mexico. Um, You know, we've seen seen his, the betrayal of him and his portrayal and his experience completely rewritten to serve this Anglo white supremacist myth.
4: Houston Chronicle columnist Chris Tomlinson says that after DeSavala helped draft the Constitution of the Republic of Texas and served as the republic's first vice president, he realized he was a token to help Anglos recruit Tejanos and resigned in frustration. There were also important Tejanas mothers, daughters, and wives who treated and cared for injured defenders. But all of these stories have been overshadowed by the myths. Martha thinks there is a bright side to Hollywood's interest. John Wayne and Billy Bob Thornton have played a role in getting a lot of people interested in the old mission.
8: I think most tourists come to see where Davy Crockett died. Do we stop at that? No. I think that's why they come. But I think we need to have a museum. We need to have docents. We need to have signage. People need to know that this was a mission. And, you know, it was a mission and who was here and what bands of Native Americans we were trying to Christianize. There's a lot of
6: battles that we
8: can honor and tell.
6: You know, it doesn't just have to be one.
4: Now, a lot of people are hoping that whatever happens to the Alamos redesign, it's more inclusive and tells a larger story than in the past.
2: And it's really important to show everybody's role in it. Whether you were born, native born or just arrived, it's important for people to know that this is a bigger story.
4: And by helping to paint an accurate picture of the past, the hope
8: is it will impact the future. If you don't know the history that has gone before us, that you won't know for when it looks at us in the face again, we will repeat the same mistakes that we've made.
0: And so the battle over the future of the Alamo continues. We don't know what the next plan will look like or when there might even be one, but we're keeping an eye on it and we'll keep you posted. I'm Myra Arthur. Thanks for watching this episode of KSat Explains. We'll be back in a few weeks with brand new episodes.